Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That is what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. Be it joy and laughter, sorrow and tears, awe and insight, or deepest devotion, as we visit and listen, we are all part of a spiritual voyage called Song of the Soul. I am rich in musician friends on Facebook, some whom I'm just getting to know, and today's Song of the Soul guest is one of them. Kate Klim enchanted me from the first with her songwriting and vocals, and a talent which also thrust her into prominence when she was a 2010 Kerrville New Folk winner. Over four years, she dazzled the world with three albums, but then, with the advent of two children and then COVID, her muse was quiescent. The dry spell passed finally last year, with musical storm clouds and rainbows again appearing, stirring our imaginations and passions and delivering to us Kate's fourth album, Something Green. Thanks to Andrew Jansen for production assistance on this program. Also remember to check northernspiritradio.org for the full uncut version of this show, including about five minutes of bonus excerpts. There's always plenty of heart and creativity in the music of Kate Klim, which you'll see for yourself as she joins us via Zoom from East Nashville, Tennessee. Kate, I'm so wonderfully happy to have you here today for Song of the Soul. I'm so happy as well. I love to talk. This will be great. <laughs> I understand that you live in East Nashville, and I've never been, well, actually, I was to Nashville once, just through, but I have no idea what the difference between East Nashville and Nashville is. Is like difference between East St. Louis and St. Louis? What is this? Well, I have no knowledge of St. Louis. I think of it a little bit divided by the river, like Cambridge, Boston, they're both Boston, you know, it technically I'm in Nashville proper, but we tend to say East Nashville because it's where the musicians live. It's kind of, I don't want to say it's the cool side of town because that is utterly pretentious and probably uncool to say, but it seems to be an area that's drawn a lot of like the artists for a while. It's because it was the more affordable side of town, but like everywhere rent goes up, but it's a great area. I mean, I could go half a mile in every direction and hit three songwriter friends. So songwriters congregate towards the east side of Nashville. Is that what I'm hearing? What's the west side? Is that where the, the stonemasons? <laughs> there we go. Yes. And the cavemen. No, the west side's cool too. There's tons of great areas. This particular side, for a while, people were referring to it as like where the hipsters live. Then hipster became like a derogatory term. So I don't know. I will say because for a while it was the more affordable area and that's always where the artists move first. We ended up with a bunch of really cool venues. It's got a little bit of that Austin, like keep Austin weird feel to it. So it is an artistic side of town. But luckily, Nashville has lots of great neighborhoods with art. As I've been learning about you, and really, this is only a couple months old, I've started learning your music. I've seen you playing keyboards a lot. That seems to be your thing. But as I'm talking to you right now, I see a guitar on the wall behind you. So how many instruments are in your repertoire? That's a great question. And that guitar is pretty darn decorative. So I will go ahead and confess that that guitar has had a broken string for at least six years. And the, the strings that are on it have been on there for like eight years. And then over there, there's like a ukulele 
which I actually am trying. So here's in my actual repertoire, I would say just keyboard. And if we can't voice voice in my aspirational repertoire, a hundred percent guitar and ukulele, they're hanging up because I still really mean to get around to it. And it's been my new year's resolution since the year 2000, like Y2K. It's like turn of the millennium. It's going to be the year I learn guitar. And here we are and it's 2023 and I can play like six chords. You're on your way. <laughs> and they're the same chords that I knew back in 2000. But I, I do want to learn. And the reason it's still hanging on the wall and I'm still like, I am going to get around to it is because I really look forward to writing music on an instrument that still feels foreign to me. I've got much to learn with keyboard too. I had some lessons as a kid, but primarily self-taught as far as like chords and patterns and stuff. But I miss sometimes the way it was when I was in like junior high and high school and I didn't know anything about chord function. So I would use real weird chords every once in a while. You know, I wouldn't know oh, the four probably wants to go to the five and that'll go to the one, but maybe we'll try a six, you know, I would just feel around the keys and listen till something sounded good. So I kind of look forward to picking up an instrument like the guitar where I barely know what strings make what sound and can just go back to that, to feeling it out and listening. Voice on your website, you talk about, you know, when your family got a piano when you were young, eventually how you took some lessons and that kind of thing. But you don't discuss voice. And it's your voice that attracted me to you. When I first watched your videos, I started listening to you. I said, I want to talk to this woman. What voice training did you get? Were you in choirs? Did you have voice lessons? How'd that go? I was always singing. I mean, we've got audio cassettes because I they used to have those boom boxes that had like a microphone built in and you'd hit record and you could just record whatever was in the room. And mine was hot pink. And I would walk around with that and just record myself singing and making up songs about whatever five-year-olds sing about, like teddy bears and food and ice cream. So I was always singing. And my mom says there was a phase when I was real young, maybe like a toddler, where I didn't talk, I sang. Like, I would like some apple juice, that kind of stuff. So <laughs> a lot of it was just learning by doing up until maybe, you know, junior high when suddenly you start to get enlisted into choirs. And I did that through junior high and high school. And I did a lot of musical theater and community theater. So lots of, and that's all, you know, vocals. But then by the time I went to Berkeley College of Music in 2000, again, that's the theme of the interview. By the time I went to Berkeley, you had to pick an instrument. And for piano, first of all, my hands can barely do an octave. I have the hands like my eight-year-old son is about to surpass me in hand size. So I was never going to be a piano principal at Berkeley. Those people are really, really good. So uh, kind of by default, and because I'd done all this musical theater, I was a voice principal. So that's the first time I actually had true one-on-one -on -one private instruction in voice. And, and I should do it more. Like, I'm going to start recording again this winter. I'm like, I need to start, like, working out. I need to start doing vocal exercises every day just so I can be in, like, top shape for that. Well, why don't we start off with one of your songs right away? Uh, there's a lot more about you I'd like to have our listeners for Song of the Soul be acquainted with. But what song do you want to start out with? I think I would do the title track from the last album. So that's Something Green. And tell us a little bit about Something Green. So Something Green is about the kind of metaphor of controlled burns. And that metaphor had been kind of hopping around in my brain for a while of how sometimes to prevent this larger, more catastrophic fire, you have to start a fire. 
or also how sometimes that's necessary to promote new growth. And at the time when I wrote it, I was in a phase that I thought was perhaps trying to salvage my marriage. In retrospect, I was in the end stages of my marriage. But at that time, when I wrote the song, it was about, okay, maybe the way to save this thing is to torch it as we know it and start again, because it was just so painful. There was a lot of fire at that time. But I was still hopeful that we would come through it and there would be this new growth. But what's kind of amazing about songs sometimes is they're not about what you thought. So later, now I hear the song and I'm like, oh, the new growth was me. The marriage got torched entirely. And the new growth was this independent, stronger Kate. I'm on my second marriage. I think you just have done one so far. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this one has been for 29 years. And so it feels fairly secure at this point. But how vulnerable is it to sing about the torching of a marriage, a relationship? The heartache is, from my point of view, the best time to write music. Oh, yeah. Because it feels so vivid and it helps me live through the situation. What's it like for you? Oh, I mean, it's cathartic and necessary. So I remember as I was going through the divorce, or even honestly, I think that that end stage was harder than the divorce itself, the not knowing and the really like trying to save kind of a sinking ship situation. That's like a lot of bailing water, you know? So for me, when I would talk with friends, I would say, how do people survive this if they're not a poet or a songwriter? Because where would you put all these feelings. For me, if I would sit down, there would be an immediate sense of relief, take whatever I was feeling and turn it into a song. And I probably wrote, I don't know, if we count pieces of songs, like a hundred things during that phase, some of them turned into finished songs. Some of them made it on the album. Lots of them didn't. I'm like, which of these four songs in B flat about this particular brand of sadness do I want to hang on to? Because I just made so much content. I'm like, you can only have so many. So because I wasn't writing them at the time for an audience, the primary point was just a conduit to get whatever I was feeling out. I didn't have to worry about being vulnerable because the only audience was me. And then there's a point where if the finished product feels honest, and I was careful before the interview started, you were telling, <laughs> you were talking about this Ike Turner song that was very hateful and very blamey. I didn't write like that partially because that's not who I am. I like to think I'm not a very mean, hateful person, but also I always knew that there's going to be some kind of boundary where I want my kids to be able to hear these songs later. So even though they're vulnerable, they're about me. None of them are about other people in my life, including my ex. I mean, he's clearly a character and there's sadness that's related to him, but I feel like the songs were more just about how I process the experiences I went through. So it's my own vulnerability that I was sharing to the level that I was comfortable with. I'm also a pretty open book, so that helped too. Well, the song, folks, is Something Green by Kate Klim. We're going to listen to it and talk a little bit more afterwards. Here is Something Green.
Kate Klim is with us here today for Song of the Soul. Her song, Something Green, is the title track of her latest album, just released this last year. Obviously, a song with some hope in it, but it's looking at the fire. It's looking at the smoke. It's hard to breathe, and yet there's promise in it. Your smile, as I look at you right now, tells me there's something green showing through your life right now. Maybe it's blossomed up into a great big tree right now. What stage do you feel at in your process now? A part of the smile is because I feel like you were so perfectly describing like my take on life, which is always, I had a t-shirt during the Kickstarter campaign that was called like, sad songs sprinkled with hope. So I feel like you nailed it there where I, I, I tend to be sad, but there, I always have some kind of hope in there because I think that's how I generally live my life. And then the phase I'm in right now, there definitely was this really big period of regrowth. I was thinking about this the other day and it feels ridiculous to say, it's not that I miss that phase of my life because it was really tough, but I, the person I was during that was maybe one of the best versions of myself because I was doing all the work. I was just writing and journaling and making music and being really deliberate in being present with my kids. You know, I was looking at how suddenly I was going to have to start splitting time. So it's made me really, really grateful when I'm with them. So that was a very, very green time. I would still describe it as green. I'm feeling a little more settled than I was then. So maybe we're less in like the seedling stage and more in just like trying to keep up with the garden (laughs) and give it water. Which is funny because if you saw my actual garden back there, I, I have trouble keeping up with it. Uh, I need to do some weeding in my backyard. But no, it's really good. It's always changing. So right now, you know, I'm figuring out what role music plays in my life. I'm not really actively touring. So it does feel like I'm in a, in a transitional stage and in between things, but I'm very, very solid in knowing that I want to write music and release music for the rest of my life. So that's a good question. And I'm like, I don't know where I'm going, Mark. I think I'm in a green stage, like maybe almost at some flowers would be my metaphorical answer. Well, I see the flower in you. So keep it up. Thank you. One more thing I wanted to ask you was your name, Klim. So have you just always been Kate Klim? Yeah, you know, when I started, I started writing songs, like I said, when I was young, and I started doing little coffee shop stuff in high school. But I I truly started performing and releasing music in college. I was like 18 or 19, you know, and I bought the domain kateklim.com. And I was like, that's my name forever now. And Klim is milk spelled backwards, which is a really handy thing to get people to remember your name. (laughs) Well, Mark spelled backwards is cram. So there. Cram Snick Dudge, Mark Judkins backwards, which I discovered when I was in ninth grade. But one last thing I wanted to ask you about something green before we go on to another song is in listening to your music, I seem to find a lot of connection with the natural world. Certainly something green. You're talking about seeing plants and undergrowth and how this things regenerate. Earth-centered spirituality is a big thing for a lot of folks. Is that important part for you? Yeah, I don't know if I've ever named it out loud like you just did. But that feels true. I know that when I go through a big thing in life, and if you've listened to music, a lot of times it's heartbreak because I'm a serial monogamist. Every time I kind of naturally be like, I guess I'm going to go stay by a big body of water for a few days. And it's the best thing. 
So I remember I went through a, a big heartbreak in college. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go up to a cabin in New Hampshire and stare at a lake. The other thing is I need to do it by myself. So after the divorce, I was like, okay, I guess I'll just drive straight down to the ocean, stare at the ocean for a few days. And it works every time. There's some kind of amazing shift that happens when I do that. And I know also I can get frazzled pretty easily. Uh, I'm like a detail person, but it means I'm always carrying around all those details. And I got to do this and do that. And if I can just go outside and take a walk, that always helps too. So I think because I do that, because those are my natural places to gravitate towards when I know I'm a little off kilter, that means I'm always, when I'm there, I'm noticing things and probably getting ideas for songs. Well, let's go on to another song for your song of the soul. What's Kate Klim got to share next? There's a song on the album called Nobody Told You. So what I was mentioning is I, I carry song ideas around sometimes. There's just a little thing where it hits me. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting or that's a good metaphor or for whatever reason, just some idea that strikes me. And at one point, somebody had mentioned or sent me a link to the story of this Japanese World War II soldier named Hiro Onoda, who at one point they sent him off to, you know, an island in the South Pacific. And they said, hey, go to the island. One command, just don't give up. And then... Long story short, they forgot to tell him when it ended. So he stayed there for 30 years and he ended up writing a book about it. And people did try to tell him in those 30 years, some of the people native to the island that the war's over. And he's like, nice trick, guys, not falling for it. So I'd had that idea of this fascinating story in my mind. And then I went on a writer's retreat again by a body of water where I do my best thinking. And I don't know why. I think I just for the first time forever had like a few hours of uninterrupted time probably for the first time in years because I'd had two young kids and I just started writing the song and it wasn't my normal process, which is all like feelings and swirls and words and playing and something evolves kind of like from a piece of clay. This one was more getting to kind of research and hear more of the story. But the part of it that was normal to my process was the verses are very detailed and they pull the true history of this man's life. Usually for me, a chorus is where you get the point of a song. What's the more universal thing? And I remember getting the chorus and not, you know, I was curious. I'm like, what's going to happen when I get to the chorus? And what kind of spilled out was this chorus about identity and how sometimes we get so attached to who we think we're supposed to be or what we think our job is that we, we say, that's who I am. That's it. So this man was so attached to, I'm a soldier, I'm a soldier, I was told to never give up, that he wasn't even open to information from other people about the fact that the war was over. So that's what this one ended up being about. Nobody Told You by Kate Klim. He sent you off to the jungle, the Pacific. He said goodbye to your mom. Yeah. 
Something that Kate Klim told you is about the song Nobody Told You. <laughs> and when you introduced it, by the way, Kate, you talked about the history of the actual Japanese soldier who, who did this. But I imagine that it had an important part for you because of the clinging to a past identity. Is there an identity you had to give up along the way? Is that part of the reason this was significant? Yeah. And, and that's the interesting thing about songs like that too. Sometimes you don't even see the big picture of what it's really about until it's done. And I'll write a song and I'll go, Oh, that's what I was feeling. Good to know. So yeah, when I wrote this one and all the, the songs that are on this album was obviously a huge transitional time. I think there was a lot of, if I'm not a wife and a mom in this very standard nuclear family, who am I? And as I mentioned, there's a lot of that about music for a very long time. I was, you know, a gigging, performing musician. And then before COVID, I had my two boys who are amazing, amazing humans, but I certainly wasn't gigging in their earliest years. And then when they were, you know, what, two or three, then it was COVID and I wasn't gigging then either. And so now there's an opportunity to do it more. But what I'm really exploring too is do I want to, or is it that I think I should? Because we're in a really unique situation now where new people aren't going to discover my music from that as much as if I just am savvy and find ways to capture my music and promote it online through videos or just the normal streaming platforms. And I'm not trying to act like I'm having huge success with that or totally following through it doing that. But I am saying that I think about it a lot. Let's keep racing through your music. Again, all of the recordings that you're sharing today are from your Something Green newly released album released last year. But there was this gap when you didn't release any albums. I think the first one must have been around 2009, 2010, when you released Up and Down and Up Again. In 2011, Kamikaze Love, 2014, 100 Million Years. And then 2022, you released Something Green. That seems like a long period of not releasing music for such a font of music as yourself. Thank you for that. You know, there was the part where I got married and had my kids. So that would explain kind of 2015. That would really explain like 2015 to 2020. There's the other part where the, I know there are some people who Taylor Swift releases an album like every year. And then she's like, surprise, I have another one. I think that's amazing. 
for me, the process of making an album is so mindful that I don't think I'll ever be really fast at it. Like for me, I'm going to start recording again this winter, which feels fast compared to my usual (laughs) habit of waiting half a decade and doing it again. I think part of that is because I do really, really hyper-focus maybe, but listen a lot and I take time. Part of it is I'm probably an overthinker and a bit of a perfectionist. So while some people can release a bunch of albums, the perfectionist in me can't do it that fast. So that's probably part of it. So I would say this was the eight-year gap was a perfect combination of young children overthinking and perfectionism. I think it would be perfectly good if right now you could give us another song. What do you want to share? This song is Songbird. And what's notable about this one is I mentioned that, you know, when I had the kids and and that said, I know plenty of amazing singer-songwriters who started families and didn't slow down. That just didn't happen to be my situation. So when the boys were both born, I realized that I went through a phase where it was just harder to find time, but also creative energy to write music. So even though I've gone larger gaps without recording albums, that's not usually how I measure my musical progress to myself, because my primary goal is just to write music for me. And then the ones that I deem good enough, I will share with other people. So I tend to measure how active I am musically just by how much I'm writing. And 2018 was the first year and really only year I can think of since I was four years old where I didn't complete a song and it blew my mind. And I knew I was like, there's this pilot light. It is faint, but it is there and I cannot let it go out. So I signed up to go to the Folk Alliance conference in Montreal and had this goal of like, I just need one new song. I haven't seen these people in years. Uh, I need one new song by the time I get there. And like the date was approaching, but one day it was the right situation where no one was in my house. I had good ambient lighting. These are both essential things. And a song came. And the song that came, this first song after my longest stretch without writing music was Songbird. And it is a song about returning to something that seemed like it was gone. So the metaphor for the song, it's truly about music to me. It was, I I knew you were going to come back someday. So you were just kind of gone for the winter. And we're so lucky that the songbird did come back to Kate Klim. Here's her song, Songbird. Time was easy, everything's green and bright. Gathered the branches and built you a nest. Summer was blooming, everything bends towards the light. And little by little, Little song 
guest today for Song of the Soul is Kate Klim. She joins us from Nashville, Tennessee. Her website is kateklim.com. Klim, in case you have any question, is milk spelled backwards. <laughs> That's not how she chose it. She just received it from her parents. But Kate, <laughs> kateklim.com is the song. And you can always find these links on our website, northernspiritradio.org. You find links to all of our guests, the songs that are shared, the stations around the country that carry our programs. All of that's on northernspiritradio.org. Please comment on the programs when you visit our site. Just give us feedback. Give us direction where we should be going, other artists we should be finding. There's so much that you can help us with, including 
if you want to donate. That's how the sustenance of this program happens is because your donations. And also, please remember to support those community radio stations across the nation. Such a wonderful alternative to commercial radio where only a handful of artists get on the radio. Please remember to support your community radio station because they will nurture the community and wonderful singers like Kate Klim. The song we listened to just now was Songbird. One thing that remains with me in my questions is, is the songbird you or is the songbird the gift of singing? Is there a separation between the two? Because I have a feeling it's so wedded in your soul. Yeah. For me, the songbird is, you know, like the muse or really just songwriting to me. The idea of the ability to create music or maybe even just the songs themselves because they weren't coming. (laughs) And I just had a reminder. And it's such a core part of who I am and my sense of identity that kind of circle back to what we were talking about earlier. But it also is such a joyful, meaningful part of my life that I definitely missed it. And I think every songwriter I know, we all go through these phases where like, even if we're writing regularly, we sometimes wonder, well, the last song I wrote that I thought was really good or that I really loved, man, that was like six months ago. And every single time there's this little fear of like, what if it never comes back? What if I never write a song that I like as much as that one? And then, you know, as long as you keep doing it, it comes back. So that song's just a little reminder to myself too, when I get afraid that maybe the songs are all dried up. I tend to be a very upbeat person, but I also am very aware of the world. I was outstanding for peace, like I do monthly this past Friday. I mean, it's, you kind of expect it out of Quakers, but yeah. also the thing that gets included in your music that makes it worth listening to is it's never dark. I mean, there are always something green in all of your songs, right? And so even if it's about heartbreak and distress, there's always new growth coming out of it. So give us another song that maybe we'll have that. Maybe you'll prove me wrong with your next choice. I mean, they do all, I think, have some kind of optimism. Actually, this will work well with what I was leaving for next. They've got some optimism or some positivity, I think just because that's who I am. And as I as I talk about how I do worry about the world, it's 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 a both and situation. I worry about the world and then I also love life and look for greatness and, and hope in the world. So when I do it right, maybe the songs capture that because I'm just trying to get them to capture me and how I think. And sometimes I just get weird. I like to think abstractly a lot. Some of those like, maybe it is all a simulation, like just sit with that for 15 minutes. So I remember this one time I was just, uh, you know, sitting around and this was actually the idea for the song came earlier. So it's not divorce related. This actually, I would call, I would call this kind of a weird love song. Because I remember at that point I was married and we had new kids and I was just like, oh, wow, I'm married. How weird is that? Like I have a chosen person, like that's my one person. And at the same time, I was like, but how well do I know him? Because how well do we really know anybody? And I would sit with that feeling for a while. And I still do that now too. I've got a boyfriend. He's great. I've known for a year and a half. And then I'll do the same thing. Like I have a person. And then I go, but how well can we really know anyone? So this song, Almost Know Anyone, is about that idea that, yeah, the only person we can maybe truly almost know pretty well is ourselves. And that's still like an ongoing life lesson. But then we choose these other people that we can know as well as we can. And and that's maybe what love is. It's like, well, if I'm going to almost know anyone... I want to almost know you. And that's how I came up with this song. I wonder every time. 
question, sometimes a problem, folks, posed by Kate Klim for today's Song of the Soul. What percentage do you think you've gotten to, Kate? Are you, are you up to 80% knowing yourself? Or is it still single digits? Who knows? I'm pretty self-reflective, but ever-changing, right? So that's a great question. If I had to choose a number, maybe 80. 80 feels right. But I like I might know myself and then suddenly maybe I've slightly changed slightly and I have to relearn that too. And I'm also trying to be open 
like growth mindset stuff, right? I don't want to get too attached to thinking like, oh, this is who I am, because that certainly boxes me in, right? Then I'm forgetting all this stuff right now where I'm explaining like, this is who I could be. <laughs> I could learn this and do this. And I'm trying to, I spend a lot of time thinking about how I don't want my life to start shrinking. You know, I'm, I'm 41 and I'm not going to sit here and be like, I'm 41, that's old. But it feels really different than 30. And I find myself having to remind myself to still like dream big and think of the world as like, I could live there. I used to move all the time. And now part of it's I have kids, but I I used to be like, maybe I'll move to California. Maybe I'll move wherever. So I'm trying to remind myself to still kind of wistfully think about the future. I assume there's a whole lot of Nashville you still don't know, even though you maybe know for a few blocks around your place. Yeah. I mean, you probably don't even know the Quaker meeting there in Nashville that at at least at one point in her life, Emmy Lou Harris attended. There's uh, all kinds of things to find wherever we're planted and a lot more to find in the rest of the world. Do you really have an inkling that you're going to go somewhere else? You know, because I used to go through a big life change and then kind of point at my map and pick a state, I like to think that maybe once my kids are grown, I'll I'll have a new adventure somewhere. I love Nashville. It's great. And obviously, because I'm in a co-parenting situation, I am here and I'm happy. I'm like, if I'm going to kind of get stuck in a place, I'm glad it's here because I've got such an amazing community of friends. And the music situation reminds me of when I was in college, where it could be a Tuesday night and I'd still have three choices of concerts to go to. There's just music all the time, which is so immersive and so amazing. And the food is super good. So That said, I miss Boston. And I also like just having some open ended, I could, I could move here, I could move there, I could live internationally. That's fun to think about. So maybe we'll see. I think we got time for one more song. So how do you want to conclude Song of the Soul? I mean, really, I'd love to sit with you for much longer. But given that we have to finish it, where are we going? So I think this one was the last song I'd written for the album. And it was the rare case where I just quickly wrote a song. We were in the studio. We actually thought maybe we were going to fill out the album with a cover song. And then my producer, who's also a great friend, and he was one of the large reasons that the experience was so great for me. And I'm going to work with him again on the next album. He was like, maybe you'll write a song while we're there, like just in the hotel, like in the studio week, which I'd heard Sarah Bareilles once say, she just like wrote a song, brought it to the studio and put on the album. And I was like, that's not what real people do. It takes months and months and painstaking revisions. But while we were there recording that week was when that massive tornado hit Nashville, including East Nashville. And I think it was maybe the second to last night before I was going to go back home. And I was on the phone with my then husband and they were in the basement and I was watching the news and buildings were coming down. I'm like, that's where we used to eat dinner. That's gone. This is across the street from my kid's school. And I'm certainly not trying to take my house was fine. My family's fine. So I was not negatively affected. So I'm certainly not trying to latch on to that disaster and say like, this is my story now. But there was something really strange about watching life as I know it change. And I was already struggling with this feeling of feeling not at home in my own life. When I went into the studio, everybody in the band knew I was getting divorced. I just hadn't accepted it yet. Like we were recording a divorce album. I just wouldn't call it that at the time because we hadn't called it on the marriage. But I knew that my life felt really unfamiliar to me. And I'd already been working through that. And it reminded me, as I said earlier, I did a bunch of musical theater. And I still have this recurring dream about once a month where I step on the stage and it's a play I did in ninth grade. You're a good man, Charlie Brown, or it's Guys and Dolls. And they're expecting me to start 
but the brain of the human is, is me right now. I'm like, I don't remember these lines. So this recurring dream about stepping on stage and I don't know my lines. And that's how I felt. So I'd had this, I don't know my lines idea. And somehow this song of just feeling unfamiliar and unsure what to do next. Verse one was about the musical theater and I didn't have a verse two. And suddenly verse two was about how the Nashville I'm going home to looks super different than the Nashville that was there a week ago because these buildings are gone and I'm not sure what to do next. So this is the song Lines. The song is Lines. Kate Klim. KateKlim.com is her website. Here it is. I have this recurring dream where I'm back at 17 It's the night of the high school play and I'm the is almost up and me I am all dressed up frantically looking for a script to
That song was Lines. You'll find it on her latest release last year. It's called Something Green, the album. Check it out. There's a lot more music for three other albums that we didn't draw songs from. I had had the intent, by the way, Kate, that maybe I would have you sing Heart of the Matter since you mastered that back what, <laughs> when you were seven years old or something. Then you'll have to pay royalties. We don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, but since it's about forgiveness, I thought it might also be close to your heart at this point, too. Or I thought I could also have you talk through a little bit about how to make a sweet potato horse head. Since <laughs> the one instructional video you'll find on her YouTube channel. Yeah. There's so much riches there that we could have explored, but I'm so glad for what we were able to have today. And I thank you so much for continuing that exploration, for finding again the songbird, and for joining us here today for Song of the Soul. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Again, kateklim.com is her website. The link's on nordenspiritradio.org. We'll see you next week for Song of the Soul. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it is called Song of the Soul. Check out all things Song of the Soul on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Send your Songs of the Soul to me, Mark Helpsmeet, via the info on our website, and join us weekly for Song of the Soul.